And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football writer and host of Atlantic and Coastal. Well, the regular season is over, but the work never really stops. This has been the craziest coach hiring season that I have ever seen. I've been a part of it with Virginia Tech. Our guest today on Atlantic and Coastal has been part of it with Miami. We're going to talk about that uh, in the episode, get the uh, all the latest scoop on Mario Cristobal and what's going on with the Hurricanes there. But we also have an ACC champion to talk about in Pitt. We're going to talk about that first. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we'll go through the bowl lineup, pick out uh, a game perhaps that intrigues us. We're not going to go through the whole lineup, but we'll pick a game or two that uh, looks intriguing to us. So let's get started. Let's bring in this week. We're joined by Manny Navarro, our Miami beat writer for The Athletic, a very busy man uh, down in <laughs> South Beach here. Manny, you've come up for air here to join us on, on the podcast. I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you having me on. It's funny. The last time you and I spoke and did one of these podcasts, we both were like, okay, what's going to happen with our head coaches? Are they going to make it to the end of the season? And I think we both uh, made predictions, if I'm not mistaken, about who would be coaching this game next year. I think I nailed my prediction. Did I not? Did you? I can't remember if you said, said Cristobal or not. I said Cristobal would be coaching Miami next year. I said Billy Napier, not knowing that the Florida job would open up and that right. You know, Florida would big time Virginia Tech and be like, oh, no, no, we're going to take that coach. You're going to have to go somewhere else. So good job on that. You predict the future. Does that mean your your betting picks are going to be correct with the bowl game? Can I count on that? Maybe, maybe. Hopefully I'll do better than the ACC did last year when they went 0-6. Well, we'll get to that in a bit. I do want to talk off the top uh, about the ACC title game because that was the big game this week in the league. Pitt beats Wake Forest 45-21. to Honestly kind of a dud of a game wasn't it this you thought this was gonna be the year that like okay Clemson's not in it they're not gonna blow out somebody this could be a really good game between two teams that are very interesting even if they're not named programs and then you know I'm watching the first quarters back and forth this is the game everybody expected touchdowns plenty, and then Wake just the faucet just turned off with fake with with, with Wake fake maybe that's a, a <laughs> fake slip Wake there. there you go Wake Forest <laughs> Uh, 21 points in the first quarter, no points after that, did not score in their final 13 drives, uh, 295 yards total. What did you think of this game? I mean, I was excited for this game and then it just kind of stopped being a great game after the first quarter. I, I was certainly excited for it too. I was between phone calls with people in Miami's administration and Mario Cristobal's, uh, agents and people on that side of it. I was, uh, I was, you know, sort of watching and, and all of a sudden I said, man, what happened? Pitt's kicking their ass now. And then I go and I look back and I said, oh, interceptions. <laughs> that played the big role in that game. And, uh, you know, ultimately, Kenny Pickett, I mean, credit to him for, for really an unbelievable season. Uh, Pat Narduzzi as well. When, when Miami went up to Pitt and won, 
Uh, I mean, they came out of the gates blazing. They they scored, I think, what was it, 21 points or seven? I forget. It, it, they had three scores in the first quarter, and I think that's the only reason why they ended up winning that game and beating Pitt because they got so far ahead of them that, you know, Pitt was playing comeback the rest of the way. But that was a good Pitt team, and they, they were worthy of winning that championship for sure. Yeah, they were. I mean, we talk about Kenny Pickett. I'll get to him in a second. I thought the defense for Pitt was really the, the difference in that game. Four interceptions. Uh, that stadium is sort of a house of horrors for Sam Hartman. He had four picks in the Belt Bowl last year uh, against Wisconsin as well. Uh, tough one here. Had a pick six taken back by Eric Hallett. Uh, A.J. Woods took one back 75 yards. Got dragged down like the three-yard line or something. Uh, somehow the over did not hit on this game. They scored 35 points in the first quarter. And <laughs> me, as somebody who had the over at 71 and a half, I'm looking at the live over under is like 97 or something like that i'm like this is easy money and then it doesn't hit somehow a little disappointed by that but uh this seemed kind of like the clemson game for wake forest where pitt's defensive front just created so many problems and blew up that slow mesh and was all over uh hartman in the pocket there that uh it just didn't really have a chance to get going offensively after that first quarter they, they shut him down uh i think i was more impressed by pitt's defense in this than maybe the offense yeah, and really that's Narduzzi's doing. I mean, we, we knew they lost a lot of guys off of last year's squad, right? Uh, guys who went to the NFL and, and graduated, and we thought, okay, maybe Pitt's defense takes a little step back. But as the year went on, those guys kept getting better and better. And that's just a testament to Narduzzi as a coach. I mean, look, yes, Miami scored a boatload of points on them, but after that first half, I think Miami only scored seven against them and, and, and you know, basically held on for dear life to win that game. And so uh, in, in this instance, you just saw the, the pit defense improve as the year went on. And, and like I said, to me, they're a worthy ACC champion. Look, we, we've been spoiled by the greatness of Clemson, right, for six straight years uh, with Trevor Lawrence and all the stars that they had. And Clemson still had a great defense this year. But, uh, you know, this is this is more typical of what an ACC champion should be, a team that's ranked just outside the top ten. <laughs> Because that's really what this league is. It's teams that really aren't elite. Uh, Pitt is good, very, very good, but they're not elite. I think this is a fair representation of the conference this year. All the more reason to vote for the 12-team playoff yes. for the ACC. They got, they got <laughs> a little too fat and happy with the Clemson run there, and it's like, this is actually more what the league is. Right. Maybe get on board with that 12-teamer and get that going here. Kenny Pickett. Heisman Trophy finalist. Have you wrapped your head around that whole thing? He threw for 253, two touchdowns in this game. He also ran for a 58-yard touchdown, did like a fake slide that... Yeah, that's got to be illegal, right? They've got to make yeah, that they, illegal in the future. I mean, that was like you saw all the Wake Forest players just like pull up They're like, oh, he's sliding. And it's like if he does that, it's like you should be like, OK, the rest of the game, you can't get a targeting penalty if you hit Kenny Pickett as he's about to slide because he's already <laughs> fooled you once like that. That that was a crafty veteran move that I, I expect of somebody who's played 15 years at Pitt. But it seemed highly illegal or like nefarious. Yeah. They should not allow that anymore. I'm 1,000% with you. And you know what, uh, Bitter? One thing I will say is we don't need more interpretations of rules because clearly the referees don't know what they're doing when it comes to that. I Look, fake slide you want. I just think ultimately, unless the player is on the ground, uh, you, you shouldn't be able to hit him, right? I mean, you should be able to hit him, rather. if he's Whether he's faking a slide or in showing – like, to me, you're still hitting him in stride. I, that, that whole rule, sliding, not sliding, once he's on the ground, physically on the ground, you shouldn't be allowed to hit him. After that or before that, whatever, he's free game. Uh, that, that, the, the rules need to be changed. They need to be uh, – 
worked on because yeah, you're right. That was uh, that was sort of a dirty uh, but smart play by Kenny Pickett. Okay, I don't want to detract from Kenny Pickett in his season. I mean, when you're breaking a record set by Dan Marino, yeah, you're doing something right at Pitt. I mean. Going back to the start of the season, could you ever have imagined this for Kenny Pickett? I mean, he's in the Heisman finalist with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Uh, Hutchinson is, is perhaps a surprise because defensive players don't always get up there. But you're talking about the quarterbacks of the two of the premier programs in the country and then the quarterback at Pitt, who had never thrown, I think, for more than 13 touchdowns in the season before this year. I think that's the stat. And now he throws for 40-plus. That is just mind-blowing to me that he has this kind of success. Yeah, what's funny is when we did our preseason predictions, remember way back in August before all of this zaniness and, and coaching hires and and all that stuff happened, uh, I actually predicted two quarterbacks from the ACC because I knew this was a good quarterback conference this year. I said there's right. going to be two guys who get to New York for the Heisman. Well, of course, none of them were Kenny Pickett. I, I had T.J. Ongalele and uh, uh, our boy from North Carolina, Sam Howell. Sam Howell. I, thought, I thought for sure. I'm like, these guys are going to put up ridiculous numbers. Clemson's going to be good again because that's what they are. North Carolina's going to have a great season. Man, was I wrong. Kenny Pickett was 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 clearly the the cream of the crop for the ACC. And, look, it was a good year for quarterbacks. You can't – there were a lot of guys. That, I mean, Leary put up good numbers for NC State, 35 touchdowns, five picks. Uh, obviously, Van Dyke turned it on late. Um, I, I thought it was a great year for quarterbacks in the ACC. And he's, he's – look, he was the best. There's no question he was the best. This is how good the year was for quarterbacks. Leary, Howell, Cunningham, and Van Dyke did not make my all-ACC ballot. And, wow. like – I mean, any of them could have been in the top three, and it mm-hmm. would have been understandable. So a very good year for the ACC there in quarterbacks. Uh, Pitt, uh, rewarded for this, gets to go to the Peach Bowl uh, to play Michigan State, which would be an interesting game here. Do we think Pitt has any kind of staying power from this season? or this Is this a one-year wonder type deal? I mean, their offensive coordinator has already left. Right. Mark Whipple has already left. It sounds like he might go to Nebraska, which I thought was which, uh, a strange move. I mean, he's 64. I, yeah. I didn't think that he'd be like up and moving uh, at this stage of his career. But obviously, Pickett was so instrumental to the success. You remove the offensive quarter, remove uh, Pickett, and all of a sudden, could this be a struggle next year? Yeah, one one footnote to all that. One rumor I'm hearing with, with Whipple potentially going to Nebraska, they might take Miami's Jake Garcia over there. It's one rumor that I've heard anyway that uh, that might be the scenario. Well, of course, Jake Garcia's dad played quarterback in Nebraska, so it makes sense. But anyway, that's I just wanted to put that out there in the realm of thought for uh, those listening. But, uh, yeah, I, as far as Pitt's staying power, look, Narduzzi's a great defensive coach. And, yes, Whipple made this offense what it was and, and with Pickett, but – I just think every ACC team, I mean, aside from Clemson, who's still recruiting at an elite level, by the way, uh, with Dabo, and we'll see what they do with their coaching staff. I just think like every ACC team right now, if you get them a good quarterback, they have the potential to win the conference and, and have a 10-win season and go to a major bowl game. Um, you know, they, they can always recruit this. Wake Forest did it. Hartman was a good quarterback for them, right? I mean, that's what makes the difference between, I think, 10 wins and 6 wins in this conference, really. Um I, look, the bottom line is Pitt, what Narduzzi's doing there uh, with Penn State struggling a little bit this year, I think they're going to do well going forward. They'll, they'll be a team that maybe isn't a contender every year to be a top 25 team, but certainly in the conversation, they should be a top 25 team almost every year in my mind. All right, enough preamble. We have the Miami writer here. Let's talk about Miami. Uh, <laughs> What a week uh, for the Hurricanes. What a couple of weeks for the Hurricanes down there. Mario Cristobal is the coach 
Manny Diaz is out. What does this mean for the U? I mean, this is a big deal uh, for this program. You have been writing great stories about it all week. Uh, another one off the, the introductory press conference the other day with Cristobal. This kind of feels like the dawning of a new age with Miami, or at least a new commitment to football. Tell us a little bit about what this means uh, for that school and that program that was obviously once so proud and then you know fell on mediocrity for about two decades. Yeah, I, I, look, what's happened at Miami here ever since Kirk Herbstreit called out basically uh, school president Julio Frank on national television after that rough start that Miami had is suddenly everybody in the in, in the administrative department said, wait a minute. We can't have people talking crap about our president. We got to get serious about football now, which knowing Miami's history with Tad Foote and the, the glory days with Jimmy Johnson, Howard Schellenberger, who thought that the school president would be the guy that to come in and save the football program. But essentially that's what's happened here. It's the complete opposite of the 1980s where the president was worried more about academics than guys hot dogging and dancing on the field after a blowout win. Uh, I, it's crazy. The story here has been crazy. It's been a complete shift. And Julio Frank deserves credit for listening to the fan base who's been crying for two decades now for somebody to take football seriously over there. Look, Miami's always been that private school who operates on a limited budget, okay? And part of that was not because there wasn't money to spend at Miami. It's because everybody always viewed athletics like, hey, you know what, guys? Great job in the 80s and 90s. Way to win that last title in 2001. But we're in the ACC. Uh, you, you should be able to figure out how to win on your own. We don't need to supplement you with any money here. We don't need to uh, boost up the athletic department budget because you guys are good on your own and and you know you'll figure out how to recruit you south florida's loaded you'll we'll, the coach doesn't even matter we'll get a good coach not a great coach we'll get a good coach and he'll recruit the hell out of south florida and you guys will win championships still well guess what that hasn't worked for the last 17 18 years and so essentially what the administration has done because of herb street i'm, I'm giving him most of the credit uh is They've said, okay, we need to spend money. And they went out and they, and they look, there are a lot of billionaires in South Florida. I don't know if you knew that or not, Andy. There's a whole bunch of I've rich. Seen, <laughs> I saw all the boats and the big houses uh, driving out to my, my hotel stay in South Beach when I got down there. So, yes, right. I am aware. And there, and there also is sort of a, quote, unquote, Cuban mafia, okay, which I, growing up in this city, I'm 43 years old, I'm born and raised in Miami. Uh, I almost went to Columbus High, okay? My parents were trying to get me in there when I was a ninth grader to go play baseball. I didn't get in. I had I screwed up in the eighth grade. I got a, a bad grade in my in my uh, physical science class. They didn't let me into Columbus because it was the, pre the pristine all-boys school, right, where everybody wanted to go play baseball. Well, Columbus has turned into a football beast, and they've produced guys over the years like Alonzo Highsmith and the Cristobals. Uh, they've had some really good coaches come out of there. Um, and, and so – they love their football. They love the University of Miami. And so now you got all these billionaires who are saying, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, you have the mayor's son coaching. He's not getting it done. We're going to fork over a boatload of money. We're going to back this change. Bring Mario home from Oregon. He's the guy. He's won two championships on the field as a player. He played for Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson. We're going to go back to the old days. Just get him. And part, the most important part of this all is not the hiring of Mario Cristobal because I think he's a very good coach. Game day coach, you could argue, right? He's, he's had some questionable losses. The most important thing in this entire endeavor has been they are pouring money into the football program and spending on assistant coaches. They guaranteed, Mario, that they're going to have the highest payroll for assistance in the ACC, which Grace Rayner, our colleague, of course, was able to, to give me the math. I think it was $8.425 million. What does Virginia Tech spend on assistance? 
well, last year it was like 3.7, something, 3.6, 3.8, somewhere in that range. And they've committed to $5.5 million for Brent Pry, the new right. coach. And everybody at Virginia Tech is like, that's a big deal. That's a lot. That would be second in the ACC, I think, because I think Florida State was around a little over five. I, I, I haven't seen the uh, the most recent figures with that. The USA Today put it behind a paywall, so it's you can't yeah. see it now. Like the irony of me at the Athletic complaining about a paywall uh, <laughs> on another site. So, yeah, mark that down there. But, uh, yeah, now Clemson was way ahead of the field, and everybody's like, well, that's Clemson. They're going to be like that. And mm-hmm. now here comes Miami. That's right. going to make this financial commitment to this as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like they're serious about football. And that's interesting that you mentioned the president uh, because, you know, I feel like a lot of school presidents just kind of look down their nose at the football and, oh, it's not a big deal. But the smart ones understand that, like, this is free publicity for your university. And more applications come in and better applicants come in if the football team is good. Like, I mean, just look at Virginia Tech and the wonders that Michael Vick did here in terms of enrollment and the sort of publicity that comes to the school. So I think that's a smart move by this president uh, to, to recognize that and pour some resources in, in this and go get it. I'm curious. I, I have to ask, and I, I read something yesterday that you guys were asked not to ask about how yes. this hall went down with Mario <laughs> Cristobal, but I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the tough question on this podcast to you, not to Mario Cristobal himself. Explain to me how this whole thing went down. Because Miami had a coach, and they were letting him recruit, and they didn't fire him away, and they're just gonna, they were openly chasing another coach, uh, you know, kind of leaving Manny Diaz uh, hanging out on a string for a while there. Uh, this coaching carousel is not a pure thing, and I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like it is, but this seemed especially sketchy, even for coach hiring season. Well, before before we go feeling all bad for Manny Diaz, okay, and and look, yes, it's not a great situation to be in, especially after what he did the second half of the season, right? Getting those kids to play hard for him, win five out of the last six, get them into a bowl game. Before you go feeling bad for Manny Diaz, remember one thing here: he had two years left on that contract, and he's a millionaire, okay? He's he's walking away with some serious money, and oh, let's also not forget. Manny Diaz signed on to be Temple's coach three years ago, recruited, started recruiting for him, brought a bunch of kids into Temple, and then backed out and walked away to come take his dream job. So, listen, uh, before we go feeling bad for Manny Diaz, understand this is a cutthroat business, and uh, coaches do this to players, players do this to coaches, it, it, and, and now schools do this to coaches, right? I mean, it's just part of the deal. Uh, and, and we may see this going forward. Look, the bottom line is, Miami felt that Manny Diaz was the second best option. And I know originally when all these coaching rumors started, well, what about Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss? He has interest, right? He might come down to South Beach and be tempted by coaching here in South Florida. What about uh, so-and-so? You know, I had a bunch of names people were throwing out there. And what I gathered from the start was it was Mario or bust for Miami. Like they were going to go hard at the one coach they thought would be the difference maker. And if they swung and missed, they were going to keep Manny Diaz. And I know from a PR perspective, it was going to be a nightmare if that was the scenario. But look at the timeline of what happened. Miami clearly was waiting to negotiate with Mario until after he coached in the Pac-12 title game. He didn't accept the job until Saturday or rather Sunday afternoon didn't sign the contract until Monday so Miami had to wait until they had a complete and full guarantee that he was coming and so 
That's why it happened the way that it did. But don't feel bad for, for Manny Diaz other than from, hey, look, this is embarrassing for you as a coach. I think Manny Diaz is going to land a job somewhere else. I think he's going to be a good coach. He, he did some good things here. I know everybody was upset with the loss to FIU and and Duke and you know some of the teams that he lost to. There were some underwhelming defeats. But overall, I, I think he's the guy who's going to rebound from this and get an opportunity to be a head coach again somewhere down the road. And I think he'll do well. He's, 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 a, he's adaptive. He's smart. Um, it's just Miami needed a guy who, when he walked into living rooms in South Florida to recruit the top players in this city, they needed a guy who could throw rings on the table like Pat Riley. And Mario Cristobal can do that. He can throw rings on the table. Ones that he won as a player, one that he won as assistant coach at Alabama. And hell, I know they're just Pac-12 championship rings, but he's got two of those as well in a Rose Bowl that he won. So that, you, you talk to anybody down here, Andy, that was what was holding Miami back for a while. Mark Rick came in. He commanded some respect. I thought Miami started to do a better job under Mark Rick, but he couldn't recruit a quarterback. So now you got a guy who has a quarterback on the roster and can recruit the hell out of not just South Florida, but the entire country. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, think about all the players he brought uh, from out of state at Oregon to go play there. I, he, he, this is a great situation for Miami. Yeah, and I imagine the average uh, Hurricanes fan does not care uh, that this is how it happened. No. They just wanted the final result. They don't want. They don't care. Uh, they don't need to see how the cow is slaughtered to get the steak. They just want the steak at the end of this thing. You mentioned the major commitment um, in salary here. Uh, it's $8 million a year uh, over 10 years for Cristobal, which seems to be all the rage that, these days, 10-year 10, 10 deals. Uh, this couldn't possibly backfire in coaches. Like, like, like think of, look at all the money being paid for buyouts. I'm not talking about Cristobal specifically. I'm just, in general, college football spends money like it's nothing. And then they're going to pay the piper down the line here. A lot of these coaches are going to get extremely sweet buyouts because, as we see in college football, not everything works out how it's planned. But right now, everything's roses. Uh, you know, $8 million a year. A ton for the assistance. Now, I read in your story that part of this is because Miami's U Health system was so profitable recently. Yes. $400 million in profits that made this possible. Does it get more American than this, that they're paying ungodly <laughs> sums of money for a football coach based on their highly profitable uh, hospital system? That's, this seems like such a warped sense of priorities I in know. our country. Explain this, though, the, the hospital's success in, in financing this. Yes. Now, listen, I, I, this hasn't reflected well on Miami publicly. I think uh, USA Today wrote a story, from what I understand, one of Miami's PR people reached out to me to talk about that, um, that, hey, we're getting this negative press. And, and, and to make a clear distinction that it's not they're, – they're not taking COVID money to pay Mario Cristobal. That's not, that's not the way it works. The way it works is, hey, we made a boatload of money as a university, uh, you know, and they do have this health system, by the way, that they've had for years at, uh, in, in the city, and it wasn't doing well for a while. Essentially what Rudy Fernandez and Joe Echeverria, the two guys that, that President Frank put on this task of fixing the athletic program, those two guys and a couple of others turned Miami's poor profits around um, it, it, from the medical field in the last few years. This has been a progressive thing where, where, where all of a sudden the hospitals are becoming really profitable. So Miami basically operates three phases, right? The school, the hospitals, and then the athletic program. Well, they've never fed the athletic program because they're doing better financially in part because of the hospital and because more people are pledging money, the Cuban mafia, as I like to call them, for, for Mario Cristobal. Now, all of a sudden, they feel like, okay, you know what? We're going to spend the money 
but we also think we're going to make money. This is, in a way, certainly a gamble, right? Like, I could see us three years from now, if Mario Cristobal's got the same record as Manny Diaz, everybody wants him fired. Uh, I, I could see us in a very precarious position down here at Miami where people are saying, well, you got all this money you committed. You're not making any money. Nobody's going to the games. You're not selling more merchandise. This is a gamble from the administration. That's why when, when, when some reports were coming out before that, oh, this is a guarantee. Miami, every year they're going to spend 25 to $30 million in football. No, this is a pledge where they think this is going to spark the athletic program to become a national contender year in and year out and be the quote-unquote old Miami that is profitable as an athletic program. That's, that's what they're doing. They're investing, hoping for a payback. Well, if there's one thing I know about the Miami fan base, it's they are famously patient and will wait this out, <laughs> this success. Really well. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think they'll want some uh, results early. Let's talk about Cristobal himself. I, I watched mm -hmm. some of his presser. He did the typical coach things. Uh, yep. This team is going to be physical, right. and that is going to start in the weight room. They're going to recruit the footprint. Like I mean, it's copy and paste right. from any of these new introductory pressers. Virginia Tech was the same way, and fans eat it up. Yep. They hear the stuff here. But I look at his career path, and I'm just like amazed by it. He was once fired by FIU. Yes. Like what a first of all, what a terrible decision by FIU. Like who do you think you are firing this guy, this local? He goes to Nick Saban's school for wayward coaches. He comes out, you know, laundered on the other side. He's great. He gets the head coaching job at Oregon where he goes thirty five and thirteen. Uh he seemed like he had a pretty sweet deal at Oregon. Mm -hmm. Uh but you know, I've read all your stories. I read Bruce uh, Feldman, obviously knows Miami well. He wrote a story thing the other day, and he, he wrote in there, it's a Kane thing. You wouldn't mm -hmm. understand. Yeah. Uh, was this the only job that he would have come back for? Is that just it, it, part of his nature as somebody who's gone to Miami before? I mean, this the lure of this uh, pulling him away from Oregon. Yeah, I, I think without question, this was the one job he would leave Oregon for. Now, would he go to Alabama? Uh, certainly, if Nick Saban uh, were, were to leave him that that situation, I think for sure. But now he's there's he's, twelve guys lined up on that yes, Alabama job that think yes. they're getting it next. So good luck with that. But he was a guy that people had mentioned for that Alabama job because he was there for four years with Saban and, and learned a lot from him. Like you said, graduated from his university. Um, I, I look. Mario, this was the one job without question he would have left Oregon for. And it, and it was hard for him, by the way. It was really hard for him. I talked to his brother, Lou. I talked to his wife, Jessica, yesterday during the introdu introductory press conference. And ultimately, you know, the Miami job, it was emotional for him. This is all about emotions. This is all about coming back, listening to your former teammates, all the guys that came after you saying, please, please, please come save the program. You know what it takes. You know what a Miami guy is. You know what a Miami guy is supposed to look like. And between that and his family, I mean, look, his mom has been in the hospital now for a couple of years. Uh, she was working up until she was 79 years old at Kendall Toyota. Okay, selling work, working in the uh, car uh, car sales industry until she was 79, which is where Mario gets his work ethic, by the way, where he's just relentless recruiter guy. Um, but this was this was the emotional tug. Like every time he went on vacation, um, it was back to Miami. There was no free time to go to Italy. There was no free time to go to Greece or Europe. Like this guy, anytime he had a free moment, it was back to Miami with his wife and his kids to see his brother and his kids. And so it was all about family. And, you know, yesterday was such a special day for them. You think about Lou 35 years ago, a kid that was going to go to Harvard, right? That's where he, that's where his parents wanted him to go. He was a smart kid, offensive lineman at Columbus. And 
Jimmy Johnson walks into the living room and says, no, I heard you can bench press 480 pounds. We want you at Miami. And, and by the way, he did bench press 480 pounds. This guy's ridiculous, Mario's brother, Lou. So he weighed 180 pounds in the third grade, by the way. Um, so, so they recruit Lou. Mario's in the living room at the same time. And Jimmy Johnson says, I'm coming back for you in two years when you're graduating. And, that's, and that was the story, right? It started there and, and this crazy path. This is the fourth time now Mario will, will have taken a, a job or a scholarship from Miami. And, and so this is chapter four in that incredible story. And without question, you know, he was emotional yesterday. He fought back tears several times. He was playing catch with his sons. He was so happy to, you know, he told his sons, he's like, hey, you're finally going to be able to meet my Miami family, like my, my family. Kane, and that's why it's a Kane's thing. That's why Bruce's story was great as well. I mean, it, this is about coming back to where people felt they accomplished some special things. And, and so for Miami, it was a very emotional day. And I think for Mario, you know, this is just the beginning. I think he's going to do well here. I think Bitter, I think especially, look, he's the first coach who's going to have any sort of real support, right, in terms of uh, assistant coaches, uh, the school having your back. They want to see this work. Uh, Miami had to enter the arms race. They couldn't, they weren't going to ever get back to being successful. They were going to be a middling ACC team if this doesn't happen yesterday. Well, I saw him, uh, a little clip of him speaking Spanish. Yeah. Uh, and it, it came lost pretty a natural. Touch. A little bit, a uh, yeah. A little bit more of a local flavor than Brian Kelly with his uh, fake Southern accent oh, yeah. coming through. Look, came across a bit more genuine. Uh, just to finish, put a bow on this Miami thing. Uh, I ask you this all the time: Does this mean the U is back, Manny? Oh boy, the boy. U is back. They are not back until they're in the college football playoff where they win an ACC title. When that happens, can we just declare that the rule now? Can we just say the U is not back until they win the ACC or make the college football playoff? Can we agree to that? I think we can, but it's not going to stop other people. Right. You know, Texas Texas wins one game, and it's is Texas back. The U right. wins one game. Is the U back? Uh, it's just part of college football offseason. And I'm sure we'll talk ourselves into Miami winning the division next year. Looking at the division with all the coaching changes and the quarterbacks they're leaving, yep. uh, I think it might make sense to pick Miami anyway, but it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, wanted to shift gears here a little bit. Another coaching change uh, within the ACC, a little bit of a surprise, perhaps. Virginia's Bronco Mendenhall resigned uh, last week. Uh, same day that Virginia Tech was announcing Brent Prize, the coach. It was later that afternoon, so I feel sorry for a lot of the writers that cover both Virginia Tech and Virginia. They think they're done for the day. They're like, oh, that was good, and then they're driving home, and this happens, right. and they have to write some other stuff. Uh, I was sort of surprised by this. Uh, you know, I've spoken to Bronco Mendenhall on a couple occasions. I do the state of the program for them every year, and I, I realize what a unique dude he is. And it, his whole life wasn't football. I mean, that was his work, but that wasn't his whole life. And he had other purposes in life uh, than coaching. He made a, a great effort to get away from football every day, very family-oriented, wanted his uh, coach, assistant coaches to be like that too and not just like burn the midnight oil all the time with football so I can sort of see why he did this still I'm surprised by the timing were you surprised uh, that this whole thing came down yeah I mean I I, I thought he, you know look I know they were they finished six and six or whatever it was but I thought he was doing a good job there uh, at, at Virginia and, and I didn't know any of the underlying issues or what was kind of going on behind the scenes and why why ultimately he decided to do it when he did but uh, you know, definitely a, a, a surprise to me. I, I, I didn't see it coming. How old is Mendenhall now? 
uh, mid fifties, I think he's been coaching okay. for thirty one straight years. I don't yeah. have his exact age with me, but I but, think it's mid fifties. Yeah, but I think it just shows you the the, the burnout that, that you can have doing this job, right? I mean, how invested you are emotionally and everything else. These guys, I mean, how they go a hundred miles an hour uh, at this job every day. I, I don't know where they get the energy from. I mean, Mario Cristobal says it's uh, Cuban coffee and, and two hours of sleep. Is that what he operates on? Um, you know, look for Virginia. It, I. I I hope that the, the situation improves there, right? That they're able to get uh, the kind of guy that they want um, to, to run the program. Um, but look, the, Virginia is, is a play, is a tough place to recruit. I know that their their facilities aren't great per se. Like, how how are they going to attract the next coach? And and what kind of job can that guy do to improve things? And you're you're there. You you could tell me better. But but you're, what's your impression of that? Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the facilities, and that has been a sticking point, and that's something Bronco had been fighting for years to do, and they have this whole master plan of building this new football center, and I think COVID, maybe they hit the brakes a little bit on that, maybe not full speed ahead with doing that, but they need serious upgrades in that sense. But I, I look at what Bronco did for the program, and I think he took that place a long ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is a program again that uh, can be a reliable bowl participant uh, every year, almost every year. Um, and from what it was before that with, you know, Mike London and they were struggling and they get had some flashy recruiting classes that didn't do anything on the field. I think that he built up a very solid program and infrastructure there for the next coach. I'm curious, the 2016 class of coaches mm-hmm. in the ACC, here they are. Mark Richt at Miami, mm-hmm. Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, Dino Babers at Syracuse, the last one standing right now, and Bronco Mendenhall. Who wins? Mm. Who wins from that class? Well, Rick won, won the division. He got to the ACC championship game. Men, uh, Mendenhall obviously won the division. Um, Fuente won a division, got to the ACC yeah. championship game. Yeah. And Dino Babers is somehow the last man standing in this whole thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Dino has obviously such a tougher situation at Syracuse, trying to get that program back to where it was. Um, just the talent pool that they pull from is, is, is not equal to other parts in the ACC. But – uh, I, I don't know. It's a good question. Rick, Rick had the shortest tenure. I mean, is it Fuente? I mean, he, I don't know who had the better win percentage. Um, it's a, that's a tough one to break. Probably Rick, I would say his win percentage was a little higher. Um, but obviously you got to take into account Fuente lasted six years in Mendenhall. Um, I thought he had them going in the right direction. I think Mendenhall ultimately accomplished more for Virginia than, than either of those other two coaches. So I would probably give it to Mendenhall. I'm talking it out of my head here on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to go with Bronco as yeah. well. I mean, they were 2-10 and ten in that first season. Uh, he did the impossible, really. He took UPA to the ACC championship game. I don't think anybody ever thought that was going to happen uh, with the way that program was going. And I think... If, I feel like his hire was kind of like Buzz Williams for basketball at Virginia Tech. And mm-hmm. you can't think of two more opposite people than Buzz Williams and Bronco Mendenhall, but it's like <laughs> he brought the program back. Yeah. Like the program was dead for a while. It was so irrelevant. And he gave those, they, they gave those schools, those programs back. And now whoever's next, Mike Young at Virginia Tech basketball wise, can build off of that. And whoever's going to go over to UVA, I think there's a pretty solid base there. For possible success he's not taking over a program that you know I think Bronco said when he got there it's like 27 ACC caliber players he, I mean he said that out loud to, to people uh so uh yeah I, th- I think I give it to Bronco 
it just kind of goes to show you, though, that you never know how those hires are going to work out. I think in the 2016, everybody goes, year one, Fuente is the best. He wins the the conference or right. wins the division the first year. The second year, Mark Richt is the best. He gets this team up in the top 10, uh, whatever, it did, nine, 10 straight wins to start the season. Then Dino Babers wins 10 games. And you go, okay, it's Dino Babers. He turns Syracuse around. Then they return to mediocrity. And then Bronco rises up. So... Uh, changes your perception it seems like every single year with these coaching hires and the the more that we think we know about these it seems like the less we know about how these things are going to work out all right last thing i want to hit on here uh we have a full bowl slate for the acc 10 games the acc is actually favored in eight of them incredible you know in the past (laughs) they'd always get a team in the playoff and then another team would get pulled up into the orange bowl and notre dame would sort of be in the mix and they take so it kind of bumped everybody up maybe higher than they should have been in the bowl packing order. And this year, I feel like that's not the case. Uh, Pitt is in the Peach Bowl against Michigan State, so they're not even in like a, the premier New Year's Six game, not in the playoff or anything. And everything else kind of played out like that. So I think there's some you know, better matchups for the ACC here, some even more even matchups. I sent you the list of bowl games. Give me a game on there that intrigues you uh, that you want to watch here. Well... To be honest, I, I want to see what Clemson does. I mean, they, they've they've uh, lost their defensive coordinator in Venables. That's a huge loss. Um, they I guess they're on the they could end up losing Tony Elliott as well, right? That's the other rumor that the the offensive coach could be leaving too. Their athletic director Dan Radakovich could be coming down to Miami. What is Dabo gonna do? Can he keep his team focused? Iowa State was a pretty good team. They're not a great team. I, I think that's the most intriguing match. But Iowa State's actually favored. Clemson's an underdog going into that game. So I would say seeing what Clemson does without Brent Venables is probably what I'm most interested in. Yeah, that was the one I would have picked too just because it's like Clemson in a mortal situation. Like they're they're back with the normals for bowl right. games. They're not off gallivanting <laughs> in the playoff. It's like, oh, you're you're off uh, playing in all these great games. You're, you're at the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, the former Camping World Bowl, former Russell Athletic Bowl. I mean, it's been like 10 different iterations of sponsorships yes. there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I'm interested to see that one, just especially because of how hit or miss Clemson was this year, especially offensively and Venables off to Oklahoma. How is that going to happen after that? I mean, this is this is like a critical stage for Clemson and Dabo, mm-hmm. and if he loses both coordinators possibly – uh, how that program continues on after, you know, the quote unquote down season. Well, what are they? Nine and three, something like that. Like all every other team in the ACC would kill to have a down season like this. Like Clemson's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that's uh, probably the one I would choose as well. I, I think this Pitt Michigan State game could be fun. Yes, agree. Because it's kind of two teams that nobody expected to be in a New Year's Six. Uh, in this situation so I always enjoy seeing teams get there because I think they enjoy it and maybe there might be fewer opt-outs in those games because like we never thought we'd be playing in a New Year's Six game at the end of the year whereas Ohio State is disappointed to be in whatever bowl game uh, the Buckeyes are playing in this year I think you'll probably see a lot of opt-outs in that one I think if I was choosing another game off of that top line I think maybe NC State UCLA is kind of interesting to me because The Holiday Bowl, is. this is the first time the ACC has been in there. Mm-hmm. And if I'm being totally honest, I really wanted Virginia Tech to get into that game. I've never been to San Diego. I would love to get out there in San Diego. UCLA is just an interesting team to me. Chip Kelly is always going to uh, bring some attention to that program, and you know, provided he doesn't go back to Oregon. I saw some lines the other day that said that he was perhaps 
uh, the favorite uh, uh, to go back to Oregon for that job. I don't know if any of that's going to happen, but just the betting markets like that. But, uh, you know, NC State, pretty good year. UCLA gets back to a bowl game. Uh, it seems like they're kind of turning the corner. I think that one could be interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, look, the matchups aren't bad. Uh, certainly, you know, I mean, you look at the spreads. I mean, it's three points or less for almost all of them. UNC, South Carolina, I guess, is a, is a seven-point spread. The Tar Heels are favored. And then Wake Forest, A&M, that's, that's a touchdown for, for A&M favorite. Everything else is under, three, you know, three points or less. So I, I'm hoping there's there's exciting games to watch, and I'm hoping the ACC wins a few. Because, Andy, I don't know if you believe in this or not, but I, I, I really feel like bowl, the, the Bulls, while we don't, well, obviously, there's a lot of change sort of happening, guys skipping the games, you know, to enter the draft or coaching changes. Somehow, some way, that stat of whatever the ACC does affects next season, right? Don't we always talk about it, right? Like, how did the ACC do against their, their the other Power Five conferences or the other conferences? If they do well, I feel like that helps in the preseason rankings a little bit, right, for them. So, uh, if you're if you're an ACC fan and want to see the ACC do well, these games do matter from from a perspective going into next year. Well, I think they'll do better than zero and six, uh, yeah. like they did uh, previously in a bowl season. That's not the way you want to go out uh, for the ACC. But Manny, you will get a, a fun trip to El Paso. Ooh. Great Mexican food out there. Yeah. Uh, I- interesting game against Washington State. I will be freezing my butt off in New York. In the Pinstripe Bowl, covering Virginia Tech versus Maryland, you've told me to bring a coat because it's an open air press box. I hear, yes, uh, could be Stadium. an interesting game. New York is great. I love New York in July, yes. December, less so. So this should be an interesting one to go up to. Yes, uh, and I would tell you, make sure you bring the gloves, and um, the gloves are the most important because when you're sitting there trying to write. At eleven, well, what time? This is an afternoon game. Two fifteen game, at yeah, least. Yeah, well, that you you may get the benefit here of actually having the sunlight out there to keep your keep you a little bit more warm. But the last time I was there, which was Mark Rick's final game when Miami got absolutely destroyed by Wisconsin, uh, it was the dead of night and it was in the twenties, and we were sitting there with our everybody was just freezing. Um, trying to watch the end of that game and just run downstairs. And, and so I hope it's a much better situation for you than it was for me last time. Although I will say the last time I was at the Sun Bowl, or the two times Miami has been at the Sun Bowl, it snowed both times. So I, I have a feeling I'm going to be freezing in El Paso. You will be freezing in New York. But, hey, we're going bowling. I was going to say, you hear that? Those tiny violins that fans are saying, oh, you poor sports writers have to get an all-expense-paid all trip to these bowl games, you poor sports writers. Well, Manny, uh, I wish you luck in your bowl game adventure. Uh, everybody go follow him on Twitter, uh, at Manny underscore Navarro. Uh, lots of great uh, Miami stuff there. I'm sure it's going to be continuing as Mario Cristobal uh, fills out his staff. Manny, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thanks for having me on, Andy. All right, everybody, that's another show in the books. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us get the word out on this podcast so other people can listen to it. Subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free there. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. That gets you everything on the site in every sport. Uh, lots of great content there. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. Uh, I think we'll do another one of these next week. Uh, maybe go through the lines a little bit more specifically on these bowl games and talk it out. Uh, so listen again next week. We'll talk to you then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.